Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we hear from Nigeria international Ola Aina, who plays for Torino in Italy. Aina made it through the Chelsea Academy thanks to the huge sacrifices of his parents as they helped him to follow his dream. The road's been tough, you know. Mum's had so many jobs and same as my dad and uh, just crazy nights, you know. They'll be doing long, long, long nights. That's coming later, plus Stuart looks ahead to the final day of the English Premier League with lots still to be decided, and a Gambian legend is laid to rest. Well, first, a Nigerian has made history by becoming the first African coach to win a European league title. Ndubuisi Egbo won the Albanian league last weekend with KF Tirana. He also becomes the first African coach to qualify a team for the UEFA Champions League, this at a time where there's been a lot of concern about the under-representation of black coaches in European football. Though it wasn't an easy road either. Well, I'm sure it hasn't been easy, and it's well about time, Steve. Edbo has talked about some of the challenges he's gone through previously, especially racism. And while such achievements are always welcome, they do also really magnify just how big the gap is, you know. But look, he has sounded out the horns, boldly saying that FK Tirana won't be in the competition, you know, just to listen to that very famous Champions League anthem, you know, but more so to actually compete and hopefully qualify for the group stage, which would be huge for the team. Egbo made a lot of firsts, as you've mentioned there. And just to add that despite Tirana Steve having now won the league title 27 times, that the last time they won it prior to all this was more than a decade ago, 11 years to be precise. So for him to deliver that is no small feat. I mean, he took the team from barely surviving relegation to this, winning a league title. And it's quite sentimental to him as well because he is coaching a team that he played for previously. And after turning down several calls from Tirana, you know, prior to all this and, you know, prior to winning the title and coaching them, he finally agreed and guided them to a run of 15 wins and a draw that saw them go from, you know, fighting relegation, as we're saying, to pretty much smelling the title. <laughs> so I'm sure he's now very much in demand consequently. And Steve, we have seen African players go on to dominate the world. We've seen Africans hold senior positions, senior executive posts in clubs. And we were just talking about uh, the late Papa Duf some weeks ago as an example, but maybe this will herald some form of small change, at least just in terms of how African coaches are viewed. So at the end of the day, Steve, this isn't just a win for the former Super Eagles goalkeeper. It isn't even just a win for Nigeria. This is a win for all of Africa. Yes, certainly. We look forward to more opportunities for African coaches 
Now, a Gambian football legend was laid to rest this week. That's Biri Biri, real name Al-Haji Mamadou Njie, who passed away last Sunday in Senegal at the age of 72. Biri Biri was the first Gambian to play professional football overseas, moving to Denmark in 1972. He moved to Sevilla, and such was his impact there that the club held a minute silence before their game against Valencia last Sunday and posted a video tribute to Biri Biri. A huge figure in football in the Gambia, and Ida, who knows what he might have achieved if he was playing in this era. Well, it seems that we're talking pioneers this week, Steve. I mean, from Egbo to Berry, who was an absolute trailblazer. He was the first Gambian footballer to go international, as you've said, and he was also the first black player to feature for Sevilla. And not just Sevilla paid tribute to the former player. I mean, even the likes of Real Madrid sent over their respects. Berry had a prolific career. To put it mildly, he will, of course, be best remembered for his exploits with uh, Walidan FC in Gambia and Sevilla in Spain, where he scored over 30 goals in close to 100 appearances. And he was instrumental in Sevilla's promotion to the top tier at that time. That was in the late 70s and consequently, you know, became a fan favorite. So he was also reported, Steve, to be quite close to Diego Maradona. Now, the two were teammates in Sevilla and it's said that Maradona even once invited Barry to a club ceremony to honor his contribution to the club. It's also reported that the two were still very close up to Berry's passing. But beyond his football career, he doubled in politics and administration. He was the deputy mayor of the Gambian capital, Banjul, for a few years. And we saw that the government held a state funeral for him, well attended and well organized. But at the end of the day, Steve, he inspired many and If you ask me, his timing was just right because it laid the foundation for all those who came after him, including his son, Yusuf Anjir, who now plays in the Portuguese top flight and is also a Gambia international. He actually posted quite a moving tribute to his late dad on his Instagram account. So all the best to his family, Steve, and at the end of the day, may the legend rest in peace. Well, a legend indeed, and uh, Biri Biri did so much for football in the Gambia. Well, now to our interview with Nigeria international Ola Aina. Aina signed for Chelsea as an under-11 and played for England from under-16 to under-20 level. He only made six appearances for Chelsea at senior level and was loaned to Hull in the English Championship and then to Torino in Italy's Serie A, joining Torino permanently a year ago. He opted to play for Nigeria rather than England at senior level, making his Super Eagles debut in 2017 and featuring a the Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt last year. And Aina plays as a right-back, left-back and even in midfield. Now, many players in academies in Europe only make it because of the commitment and support of their parents. And in this interview with Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji, Aina focuses on all that his parents did for him. Just like a lot of people, I'm, I'm guessing you know, life wasn't as um, easy as how it, how it seems to be now. Yeah, the football thing was um, it's really hard. It was really it was back and forth, you know, because I would start I would I started playing football, you know, and then 
at the time there's no money in it there's no i'm just playing because i'm enjoying it i'm having fun with my friends and whatnot so i could understand why maybe my parents were my mum was a bit reluctant to it you know i was still young i had to go to school but you know a few years into it maybe two years into it she started you know so like supporting it like usual she's always supported me but you know she started seeing how good i was so from maybe like age 11 12 mum's been uh, number one fan and she's been really pushing me me and my brothers on to um to do something good so yeah they've been very supportive but it's 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 the road's been tough you know mum's had so many jobs and same as my dad and uh just crazy nights you know they'll be doing long 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 nights long long nights i'll be training after i finish school my dad will finish his shift or my mum will finish their shift come and pick me up from school take me all the way to chelsea training starts at six we don't finish until like nine we don't get home till like 11 so you know all those uh sacrifices that they did for me it's just it's, it's, it's fuel for me to, to, to strive and do well and, and, you know, repay them back in, in ways that they can't imagine. When I was talking to your dad, he said something about at some point, um, he lost his car. Yeah, that the car broke down in the middle and he got frustrated because he had to be taking you back training and forth. And at some point too, he had to lose, because he couldn't walk because he had to commit to taking you for trainings and all that. Mm. He also lost a, a home. I mean, how difficult could those moments be for you? Yeah, it was it was difficult, you know. I don't really like talking about about losing our our house because that was a um that was a bleak time for for the whole family and myself, you know. So I don't really like talking about that, but <laughs> the the story about when we broke down, yeah, it's happened so many times, but I know the one story what what he was telling you was um and it was it wasn't too long ago. I think I was 16, 17. So it wasn't too long ago we was coming back. Uh, I had to go back to to Chelsea um, after the weekend um, so I was going back on a Monday morning and um, bless my dad he, had, he tried so hard you know this car it had no gears like he couldn't reverse the car couldn't reverse it could only go forward you know so he tried and yeah this day the car just stopped in the middle of Vauxhall I think or Clapham and we was just stranded so he had to sell the car on the spot and then he he put me on the train and he came on the train with me because i hadn't i hadn't really used trains like that before so i wasn't really too familiar so he came on the train with me all the way to the chelsea training ground made sure i got into my change room and then went all the way back home again on the train so yeah those are just the the small you know examples of you know how my family and my, my dad really like sacrifice for, for for not just me, but you know for my siblings also. That's Nigeria international Ala Aina speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji. So Aina made it through the Chelsea Academy thanks to the sacrifices of his parents, and now plays for Torino in Italy. It's really challenging in Europe for parents who have a talented child in football. I know this very well because uh, we have a relative at the Cardiff City Academy in the UK. Uh, Cardiff have gone into the playoffs in the English Championship, so a chance to get back into the Premier League. Well, the parents are Zimbabwean. The mother is our niece. That's my wife's sister's daughter. So the boy joined the Cardiff Academy at the age of seven. He's now 12, and it's transformed everyday life for his parents. 
They have to drive him 45 minutes to training, wait for him for a couple of hours, and then drive back. That's four nights a week. Then Saturday is match day. They'll make the same journey or travel further if it's for an away game. And then they've travelled together around the UK for tournaments and to several other countries in Europe for competitions. And the mum has transformed into a football fanatic from someone who wasn't really into football before that. So their commitment as parents is huge.、Uh, all this to help their son to pursue his dream. Well, the stories are often different in Africa, Ida, but、uh, many players are eternally thankful to their parents. As they should be, Steve. I mean, I recall Sami Kufour's story where he talked about being the only boy growing up with sisters, and his mom actually selling the TV to get him football boots. And Steve, even on the flip side, for example, with the likes of Sadio Mane, I mean, his story,、um, the Senegalese has been quoted as saying that his family didn't really support his football dream much after his father's death, but look, he still made it. So it's good to see the. Of Ola Aina getting that much-needed support. Look, it seems that Italy has been kinder to him. I mean, Torino almost assured of remaining in the top flight this season, and now reports are linking him with some huge, huge clubs in the Serie A. So, it is good to see the 23-year-old building on that dream. Yes, and all that possible because of those years of support、uh, that his、uh, parents gave to him. Thanks a lot to Ida. Asking for your thoughts on this and your stories on social media. Has your family helped you in football in some way? If so, we'd love to hear your story. So, for Ala Ida, massive sacrifice from his parents who had those long daily journeys to the Chelsea Academy and made massive financial sacrifices too. So, other things that your parents or other family members did to help. Help you to play football,、uh, maybe to join a club or to give you a chance in the game somehow, or maybe did they help you to fall in love with football by taking you to watch matches? Do tell us your story. You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Uh, for me, I remember my dad taking me to watch Brighton when I was a boy.、Uh, that's the city where I grew up in England.、Uh, Brighton in the Premier League now, but were in the third division back in those days. That's how I got to appreciate football. Also, when I was nine or ten years old, my mum would let me stay up late to watch a TV program called Match of the Day on Saturday nights. That gave the day's highlights of the English first division football, well now the Premier League, but known as the first division back then. So, if you have a story. Do tell us how's your family helped you in football. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app too and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now we go to social media, and last week we reported that Manchester City have been cleared by the Court of Arbitration for Sport of serious breaches of financial fair play regulations, and that since then there have been strong reactions. Spurs boss Jose Mourinho called it a disgraceful decision and said it would be better to let clubs spend whatever they like. 
Well, the principle of financial fair play is that clubs should only be able to spend what they earn, so that smaller teams have a chance against clubs with very rich owners. Some maintain that rich clubs are bending the rules. So last week we asked, "What's your view on financial fair play?" Here with some of your comments is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on WhatsApp with Dems Kande in the Gambia. Well, honestly, I'm a Man City fan, says Dems, but the decision that was taken in court of arbitration for sport should not have favoured Man City. The ban should be put on them. My opinion, says Dems. Well, after that really interesting perspective from a City fan, here's Caleb Ogada Samuel in Kenya. In my view, says Caleb, a club should seek to stick to the income they generate because this gives advantage to all clubs equally. Although there can be a little difficulty to those clubs that have a considerably lower income compared to those other clubs who participate in the various big competitions for me, says Caleb. I'll support financial fair play as it seeks to bring out a level playing ground for all the teams in the league. And David in the Gambia agrees, saying, let the clubs just spend what they earn. Olutunde Adeleke in the Gambia feels strongly about this issue. In my opinion, any rule or law which seems to exclude any particular individual or group is never a rule but a trap for particular members, says Olutunde. For the first time, I agreed with Jose Mourinho that it would be better for clubs to spend what they like in the future. And John Answer in Ghana agrees What the Court of Arbitration for Sport did is totally wrong, says John. They have now set a precedent so that every club that breaches the financial fair play rules will refer to them too. So I support those who are calling for the law to be scrapped. And in Malawi, Francisco Dodoma believes FFP should be scrapped. I think FFP should not be applied in football, says Francisco. Football is all about investment. Let the club's owners and shareholders invest according to their plans and available resources. And to Ghana now, and Daniel says, well, the name suggests that it's supposed to be all about fairness related to football. I believe the goal was to see equality and fairness. I honestly don't know what went on behind the scenes in Manchester City's case, but I think Mourinho was right to some extent. And uh, Akunda Francis Piri in Zambia agrees, FFP should be scrapped, says Akunda. I agree with Mourinho. The verdict is a disgrace. From now on, let each club spend whatever they like. In the Gambia, Musa Kamara was also surprised by the verdict of the Court of Arbitration for Sport. To be honest, says Musa, when I saw Manchester City had won the case, I was totally surprised because everyone felt City had broken the rules and I was totally surprised by the court's verdict. And uh, Philip Kanu in the USA says he was also surprised by the court's findings. The verdict matters usually to UEFA too, says Philip. Many fans operate under the assumption that City breached FFP and cooked the books, as suggested by German media group Der Spiegel's Football Leaks investigation. They expected City to be found guilty. And any CAS verdict that does not reflect this will be seen as evidence that FFP is a sham and not something UEFA are serious about enforcing. I know many would like Manchester City to be punished, continues Philip. 
but the original verdict was turned on its side. Well, Philip and Musa aren't the only ones who were surprised by the verdict, but one of the reasons why City were cleared is because CAS can only consider cases going back to a maximum of five years. And in this case, the alleged breaches go back more than five years ago. So from that point of view, it was an easy decision for the court to make. And that's a point highlighted by Hatab Sambu in the Gambia. It is said that UEFA failed in the battle, says Hatab, but I think the market should be in control and let clubs use whatever income they have. But Obina in Nigeria believes that uh, FFP should remain. The ruling to overturn Manchester City's ban from Europe next season is actually a disgrace, says Obina. FFP should not be scrapped because it will help to curtail the expenses of clubs with rich owners so that clubs without enough financial muscle can compete with them favorably. If FFP is scrapped, football will become less competitive and boring. And Bizwek in Jekwa in Malawi agrees with Obina. My view is that the FFP should be maintained, says Bizwek, because if it is scrapped, smaller teams will have a tough time on the market, and that will affect greatly the performance of such clubs. It was shocking to hear that Manchester City have succeeded in their appeal. I am not a lawmaker, continues Bizwek, but I feel laws and rules should be respected. And finally, here's uh, Kite Ngeja, Godfrey in Uganda. Uh, To me, the principle was good. But according to what has happened, Manchester City have escaped not only once, but twice. UEFA needs to revisit the law or scrap it totally. Because as it seems to me, how could they come up with such a good idea of regulating financial spending and end up letting clubs breach the law? The law is there in principle, but it is not functioning in practice, says Godfrey. Thanks, Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tergu here in Harare. Some really passionate comments there on both sides. Thanks so much to all who got in touch. Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir in the UK. Uh, So after an almost non-stop feast of football, the English Premier League season ends this Sunday with the FA Cup final the following Saturday. That's the 1st of August. Well, Liverpool had their party on Wednesday night after beating Chelsea 5-3 and finally getting their hands on the trophy, Stuart. Yes, after a 30-year wait, they finally have the Premier League trophy in their hands. And it was a great party in one sense, but of course there was nobody there to watch it because no fans, and even outside the stadium, the police had asked fans not to come, although some did. So a bit of a muted celebration, but Liverpool have certainly deserved it. So congratulations then to all of the Liverpool fans and lots to be decided in the Premier League on the final day, Stuart. In particular, the two Champions League places are still to be finalised. Yes, we know that Liverpool and Manchester City will be in the Champions League along with two from Manchester United, Chelsea and Leicester City. And to make it more interesting, Manchester United go to Leicester on Sunday while Chelsea are at home to Wolves. And Manchester United are currently in third place, leading Chelsea just on goal difference, with Leicester one point behind, but really any two from three can succeed. The semi-finals of the FA Cup resulted in wins for Chelsea over Manchester United and for Arsenal over Manchester City. Now, City went into the semi-final on the back of three wins, two of them by five goals, and then the next game after the semi-final was a 4-0 win. But this inconsistency which has dogged City's season, was there again when they failed to score against Arsenal. 
But from an Arsenal perspective, reaching the cup final will certainly take pressure off Mikel Arteta, with Arsenal in danger, incredibly, of finishing as low as 10th in the Premier League. Now, Chelsea's 3-1 win over Manchester United saw David De Gea badly at fault for one goal and arguably at fault for all three. So the David De Gea issue has not gone away. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, his decision to rest key players frustrated Manchester United fans who felt that he had actually jeopardised the club's best chance of winning a trophy. Now, the scorer of Chelsea's first goal in that game was Olivier Giroud. When Giroud moved across London to Chelsea from Arsenal, I thought he was just going to be a squad player. And well, to some extent he was. And in the January 2020 transfer window, it seemed likely he would leave Chelsea. But since the resumption, he's been amazing, scoring six goals in the Premier League, as well as that crucial semi-final goal. Not bad for somebody approaching his 34th birthday. Now, Giroud's an interesting character. He's a follower of Jesus Christ, who likes to wear a t-shirt under his shirt with the words of Jesus from the Bible, I am the way, the truth and the life. He explains that I've never separated my spiritual life from my professional life. It's not one above the other, it's one with the other. I believe in God and I know that nothing happens by chance because Jesus has a plan for each of us. His preparation for games is quite interesting too. He likes to sit quietly in the changing room reading the Bible. And he recently took part in an event to draw attention to countries where there is not much religious freedom and where Christians are persecuted for their faith. He's a fine player, but there's a lot more than football to Olivier Giroud. Well, and uh, he's uh, certainly, as you say, been playing uh, really well since the resumption has uh, Giroud. Now, at the bottom, a pulsating night on Tuesday as Aston Villa moved above Watford into safety, with Watford now third from bottom uh, on goal difference. But, uh, Stuart, what were Watford doing sacking manager Nigel Pearson with two games to go? Well, I think firing the manager as you say, with two games to go, is astonishing. But don't forget that Watford have a certain reputation. They've had 14 managers in the past 10 years and four changes of manager this very season. Javier Gracia took Watford to the FA Cup final last year, but he was gone by September. Then Kiki Sanchez Flores was brought back for a second spell, but that lasted just 10 games. Nigel Pearson came in in December probably partly because he had rescued Leicester City from an impossible situation a few years back, and he saw his team pick up 26 points in 22 games. But we now understand that he had a row with the owners, and he's gone. Hayden Mullins is caretaker manager for the second time this season. In Mullins' first game in charge, Watford lost at home to Manchester City. Now, no shame in that, but losing 4-0 was disastrous for their goal difference. Aston Villa, on the other hand, have given themselves a real chance of survival with wins over Crystal Palace and Arsenal, with their Egyptian Trezeguet scoring all three goals in those two wins. So that all leaves us with any two from Watford, Aston Villa and Bournemouth being relegated along with Norwich City. Aston Villa are away to West Ham, Bournemouth away to Everton, Watford away to Arsenal, so no easy games there. Bournemouth can only survive if they win and both the others lose. 
Aston Villa are currently equal on points with Watford, but ahead of them in goal difference. But it really is so close that any two of the three can go down. The Championship has now finished and we know that Leeds United and West Bromwich Albion will be promoted along with the winner of the playoffs which is won from Brentford, Fulham, Cardiff and Swansea. Now the three clubs which finished in the relegation places are Barnsley, Charlton Athletic and Hull City. All clubs which have been in the Premier League in recent memory. But it is actually possible that none of them will be relegated. Wigan have gone into administration, which normally means a 12-point deduction, which would put them in the bottom three, but we understand that they are appealing. And then Sheffield Wednesday and Derby County have both been charged with financial misconduct, and that could result in points deduction. It's a very unsatisfactory end to the season that relegation could actually be settled by the lawyers. Steve, We've talked in the past about the staggering amount of money that Premier League footballers earn. Well, Manchester City's Raheem Sterling is not on a bad salary, but he has just changed his personal clothing sponsor from Nike to Adidas for up to a cool $12 million per year. In the two league meetings between Watford and Manchester City this year, Manchester City won 4-0 and 8-0, And that is the biggest aggregate win between two clubs in the top division since Arsenal beat Grimsby Town by the same score in 1947. We've talked a bit about squad rotation in the Premier League. Well, Pep Guardiola has just set a record. 143 changes in his team during the season. That is the most for 28 years. Well, that's a lot of changes, and on that Raheem Sterling story, $12 million for that clothing deal. I'd happily do that for half the price, uh, even less uh, to wear those clothes. (laughs) Uh, Thanks a lot, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.